Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. At this hour, the death toll in the United States from coronavirus, a stunning 70,272. This time last month, the death toll was not even 10,000, 9,267. Yet despite this huge spike and projections of 134,000 deaths this summer by the academic modelers the White House has cited in the past, Vice President Pence now confirming that there are conversations going on about the White House Coronavirus Task Force phasing out around Memorial Day, either at the end of May or early June. Pence telling this to reporters in a briefing that CNN was not invited to, a source telling me that key medical experts will continue to advise President Trump even after the coronavirus task force folds. A separate, knowledgeable source, sources really, tell me that this news of the task force closing down was not shared with the actual task force when it met earlier today. In fact, some members learned about the decision through journalists, not from the White House. The White House appears to be entering a period right now of hoping that everything will go back to semi-normal, despite the fact that the death toll and infection rates continue to grow. The president also seems determined to fight oversight of how his administration is handling it all. Earlier today, President Trump said he will only allow key task force member Dr. Anthony Fauci to testify before the Republican-controlled Senate but not the Democrat-controlled House. Called it a, quote, setup with Trump haters in the House. The president there openly admitting that he will not allow House Democrats to conduct their oversight duties of his administration. His statement, of course, is in direct contradiction from the White House's claim last week that Dr. Fauci was too busy to testify. Now we're told it's for completely political reasons. The president has also been attempting to rewrite history about his response to the pandemic from his early praise of not only Chinese President Xi, but the Chinese government's transparency, in his view, to weeks of belittling the threat of the virus, to the continued failure of his administration to lead a widespread nationwide testing initiative that would be able to identify and isolate the virus. So the American people have every right to find out why these failures happened and are happening at cost to lives and livelihoods livelihoods, questions about these issues. This is what the president is apparently seeking to stop oversight of. Right now, President Trump is about to visit a plant in Phoenix, Arizona, converted to manufacture N95 respirator masks, so badly needed by frontline healthcare workers. It's a trip that the president says is meant to highlight the work of American companies to help get us out of this crisis, as the president is also pushing governors to reopen the economy as quickly as possible. CNN's Jeremy Diamond joins me live from the White House to cover all these major developments. And Jeremy, let's start uh, with the phasing down of this coronavirus task force. Um, Do we know exactly why they're doing this? 
Uh, well, Jake, we know that the president and many of his advisors have been eager to pivot towards reopening the economy. But as that has begun to happen, we have seen some states begin to reopen their economies. We have also watched some of the models, including those that the White House uses, begin to predict uh, a spike in deaths over the next couple of months. Despite that, though, Jake, we heard from Vice President Mike Pence today. He told reporters in a pen and pad briefing that the White House is indeed having conversations about phasing out this task force, and it could happen as early as Memorial Day. As the president lands in Arizona, his first trip out of the Washington area in 38 days, we're learning the White House coronavirus task force may soon be dissolved. A senior White House official telling CNN it could happen as soon as Memorial Day, but pointing out the president will continue to be advised by medical experts. President Trump today will tour a mask manufacturing plant in Arizona, where the president said he's likely to wear a mask for the first time. Avoiding the criticism his vice president faced for not wearing one last week, the president swapped one firestorm for another. After accusing Democrats of rooting for more coronavirus deaths, the president revealing his true motives in keeping government health experts like Dr. Anthony Fauci from testifying in the Democrat-led House. The House is a setup. The House is a bunch of Trump haters. Uh, they put every Trump hater on the committee, the same old stuff. Those words flying in the face of the White House's official line that members of the coronavirus task force need to prioritize the pandemic, not congressional oversight. Swearing off oversight by Democrats, the president making his latest move to avoid accountability after sidelining several inspectors general, including a watchdog who exposed critical hospital shortages. The president also downplaying new models, predicting a spike in deaths. One model used by the White House doubling its death toll prediction to 134,000 deaths by August. Are you concerned that that's happening because some of these states are relaxing guidelines too no, early? No, I'm not, because that, that assumes no mitigation. But the models don't assume a stop to mitigation efforts, instead taking relaxed rules in dozens of states into account. We have to get our country open. While the president focuses on reopening the economy, most Americans say it's more important to limit the spread of the virus. And nearly two-thirds of Americans are concerned states will start lifting restrictions too quickly. The White House is bracing for the monthly jobs report on Friday, which could see unemployment rates at historic levels. My guess right now is that it's going to be north of 16 percent, maybe as high as 19 or 20 percent. Wow. And so we are looking at... Uh, probably the worst unemployment rate uh, since the Great Depression. Wow. Well, it's, then it's a tremendous negative shock, a, a very, very terrible shock. And Jake, some other big news today. Dr. Rick Bright, who was formerly the head of BARDA, which is a key federal office in charge of vaccine development, he has formally filed a complaint with the Office of the Special Counsel uh, alleging that he was uh, ousted from his position, moved to a narrower position at the National Institutes of Health uh, in retaliation. In retaliation for what? He explains, uh, Jake, that it's because uh, he resisted efforts to push uh, hydroxychloroquine, a treatment that President Trump repeatedly promoted from the White House. House briefing room. Uh, and Jake, in this lengthy 90-page uh, complaint, uh, he also talks about the fact that he tried to sound the alarm early on, including in June, about uh, some shortages of critical medical supplies, including uh, protective equipment like masks, as well as testing equipment like swabs, for example. Uh, he describes numerous instances and provides emails as well to back up some of his accounts, uh, in which he explains that leadership at HHS, including his direct supervisor, the assistant secretary for 
preparedness and response, Dr. Robert Cadlick. Uh, Bright alleges uh, that Cadlick and others repeatedly downplayed his concerns about some of these shortages. Of course, Jake, we know since then that many of those shortages were indeed a, a critical part of the story of this administration's uh, uh, failures at times to properly respond to this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, on a call with uh, reporters just a, a little while ago, Jake, uh, Dr. Bright said that he was pressured to let politics and cronyism drive decisions uh, rather than the science. Jake? That's right. The, the FDA has since warned uh, doctors not to prescribe, uh, individuals not to take hydroxychloroquine unless they're in the hospital uh, or part of a clinical um, study. Jeremy, the White House says that there are multiple reasons why Dr. Bright was removed from his post. And obviously they don't agree with his description. What, what is the White House saying? Uh, that's right, Jake. Uh, look, the, the official side of the White House and, and uh, the Department of Health and Human Services on this specific complaint they have so far uh, n declined to comment. But in reporting on Dr. Bright's initial allegations, which surfaced a couple of weeks ago, uh, we uncovered uh, reporting sourced to administration officials uh, uh, familiar with the situation uh, who said that Dr. Bright um, mistreated staff. They alleged that he mismanaged his office. And in fact, uh, several sources told me that they believe that Dr. Bright was in fact slowing the response to the coronavirus uh, rather than speeding it up. But what is clear, Jake, is that this is going uh, to continue to be a story for weeks to come. Uh, keep in mind, Dr. Bright here is alleging uh, that uh, his ouster violated the Whistleblower Protection Act. And we are also just learning from Dr. Bright's attorneys uh, that uh, Congress has scheduled a hearing. Do, uh, Congresswoman Eshoo has scheduled a hearing for May 14th. Sorry, I'm just getting this information on my phone now uh, for May 14th. And Dr. Bright will indeed be testifying. Jake. All right, Jeremy Diamond at the White House with uh, all the day's breaking news. Thank you so much. Uh, joining me now to discuss CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash and CNN chief medical correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta to cover both ends of this, the politics and the medicine. Uh, Dana, uh, let me start with you. We uh, have seen the, the task force. Uh, there was a time when they briefed nearly every single day. Um, then, mm -hmm. of course, the president made this disastrous appearance when he suggested, mused about in injecting disinfectant as a possible treatment for coronavirus. Is that the moment when all of this changed and all of a sudden, you know, the, the task force was living on borrowed time? It certainly seems that way because it, the number of times that the task force has met has seemed to decrease after the number of press conferences have seemed to not just decrease, but basically evaporate in that form. Uh, so, yes. And the question that everybody needs to be asking is, are they really winding down what they need to do as these phases go forward or is it a political question given where we are on the calendar of a presidential election year and a president who is desperate to get beyond crisis mode? Now, I spoke just before coming on with you, Jake, with a source familiar with these discussions who insists that I know you've been talking to sources, too, but insists that these are just discussions about discussions. Yes, Memorial Day has come up. They're not there yet. It's going to be conditions based. But one of the things that I was told is that uh, in talking about getting these decisions back to agencies that have oversight traditionally, like HHS, for example, is to free up the vice president to do vice presidential things like travel and do other things as opposed to being in the White House at task force meetings on a daily basis as he, have, as he has been. Uh, but you're exactly right to ask the question about the briefings 
and the task force kind of having uh, going on paths that are decreasing, even though that might not be where the country mm-hmm. needs it to be when it comes to the need. Yeah. And, and Sanjay, because of these task force briefings, um, doctors uh, Burks and Fauci uh, really became two of the key voices on everything the Trump administration was doing in terms of the medicine, conveying the science to the public, even if that meant uh, contradicting President Trump on hydroxychloroquine or the seriousness of the pandemic or whatever. What's the impact on public knowledge of the pandemic if there is no task force and then no doctors, no scientists speaking directly to the public uh, at the briefings? I mean, I, th- I think that that's uh, that's going to be a significant problem. I mean, you know, I think the public was getting a lot of knowledge about this and and also, you know, given uh, a certain degree of seriousness, of, of gravity about this, actually, when you see this task force meeting and, and briefing the public like this, I think these, you know, more than anything, I feel like these signals, uh, the task force now being talked about, being disbanded, the states reopening, are, are giving the false sense uh, that this is this is over or this is starting to become over. And it's not. You know, one thing, Jake, uh, and I was just looking this up, March 16th, when they first announced the pause, um, there were 4,500 um, patients who had been confirmed with the coronavirus infection in this country and 68 people who had died. That's when they decided to do the pause and the coronavirus task force really started doing these briefings in earnest at that point. I mean, look how much things have changed since then. The, you know, the numbers have obviously grown significantly. And at this point, now we're thinking about disbanding. Now we're thinking about reopening. It, it just it doesn't make sense. I hope people realize that. Uh, the, the states are not following the guidelines the task force put forth. The task force now being talked about disbanding, the state's still reopening. It, it just, the, the, you know, it's, it's hard to make sense of, of how this is all coming together, Jake. Yeah, I mean, we just showed a, a graphic at the beginning of the show of, of number of coronavirus cases, and it continues to go uh, up, although in some mm-hmm. places like New York and uh, Louisiana, I believe it's going down. Dana, let's go back to the other breaking news. Dr. Rick Bright, formerly the top vaccine official at HHS, now filing a whistleblower complaint uh, over Mm -hmm. his reassignment. Uh, He claims that his warnings about coronavirus, about the the lack of of, uh, PPE in in the stockpile, were Mm -hmm. met with, quote, indifference, which then developed into hostility. Um, How much does his complaint center around his caution at hydroxychloroquine, uh, the, the drugs that the President Trump was pushing? Well, it's all the above. And as you know, he says that the reason why he was removed from his post ultimately was because uh, people who were his superiors were worried that the president would get mad because he was saying that the president's claims about that drug were false, which, of course, turned out to be accurate. The FDA said, no, 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 that drug uh, should not be used for COVID-19. So, look, I mean, the good news here is that this is how the system is supposed to work. He filed a whistleblower complaint. The inspector general will look into his firing and whether or not or removal and whether or not there were other factors, as you just heard Jeremy say, White House and other administration officials insist there were like personnel issues and other um, problems that he had separate from his response to coronavirus. We'll now hear it on Capitol Hill, where he'll be under oath and the inspector general And so we'll actually have a real independent investigation to get the questions that you just asked answered. And Sanjay, Dr. Bright says he started sounding the alarm about the virus in January, and he warned the U.S. wasn't prepared if the virus made it over here. He says when he started issuing those warnings, quote, 
Secretary Azar of the Department of Health and Human Services and Dr. Kadlik responded with surprise at his dire predictions and urgency. Assuming that's true, what does it say to you when a top vaccine official comes out and says the government's top HHS officials were surprised when he was warning them about the pandemic? Well, I, you know, I would look forward to, to these hearings, Jake. I mean, I, you know, to be, to be fair, I think Secretary Azar, uh, when we were doing some digging into this, there were some, uh, you know, warnings that the secretary gave as well. And, and you know, I, this 90-page letter, I started to make my way through it. Uh, one of the, the big things that he says, Dr. Bright, that he was pushing for the genomic sequence of the virus to be released to the United States on January 10th uh, to no avail. Well, actually, that weekend, January 11th, January 12th, is when the, the sequence was released, according to our, some of our reporting. So, I mean, there's a lot in this letter. Uh, but, I, you know, I think there were, there, were, there were people who were sounding the alarm, uh, besides Dr. Bright, I think. How exactly that information flow went, uh, how high did it go, I, you know, I, I don't know. But I do know, you know, from some of our reporting, again, Secretary Azar uh, initially uh, did voice some concerns about what was happening and, and had talked about the idea that this novel coronavirus could spin into a pandemic. No one was calling it a pandemic, obviously. In fact, we were the first, really, at CNN to call it a pandemic March 9th. But there, were, there was concern that was voiced by some senior leaders at HHS. So I'll be curious to see how these hearings sort of transpire. Dana, there's also some new reporting today in The Washington Post, which says it obtained a complaint from a volunteer who worked with Jared Kushner's coronavirus mm -hmm. response group. It's a, this is a group of volunteers uh, from the financial consulting world and others. This volunteer says uh, many of the people working on the pandemic response had little experience actually doing the tasks they were assigned and that often they failed. Yes. Uh, look, I mean... This would not be the first time there was a complaint that the people trying to do jobs in this administration are were doing them blindly because they don't have the experience that most people historically have in these jobs. Um, the specifics on this, everybody's going to have to dig into to see uh, how accurate those complaints are. But again, there have been there's been a lot of cris criticism along these lines in general across the board since the White House, uh, since this president was uh, sworn in. Dana and Sanjay, thank you so much. And be sure to listen to Sanjay's daily podcast, Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, coming up, a new warning from doctors in the United States about how the virus is affecting children. That's next. Plus, coronavirus nightmares, such as this woman arrested after allegedly licking her hands and then touching food and surfaces. Just one example of the actions leading to the creation of a new word to describe the horrific behavior of some during this pandemic. Stay with us. Today, officials in Florida are starting to prepare for how the coronavirus pandemic could collide with hurricane season, including stockpiling critical PPE. This comes as New York Governor Andrew Cuomo warned that reopening his state too fast would undoubtedly cause more lives to be lost, as CNN's Athena Jones reports for us now. This is something that's causing concern. As more and more states reopen, new concerns about how the virus impacts the nation's youth. Fifteen children between the ages of two and 15 hospitalized in New York, some testing positive for COVID-19. The children all showed inflammatory symptoms compatible with the rare Kawasaki disease, a potentially deadly illness. We've put out uh, a health alert letting health care providers know that if they see incidents of this new condition, 
that we want to make sure it's reported immediately to our health department. And a National Institutes of Health-backed study is examining the impact COVID-19 has on children and their ability to spread the disease. Issues that raise important questions about opening summer programs and schools. We already have some data to suggest that, especially in a household setting, children with the virus can be the ones who, even if they don't have symptoms themselves, can spread it to the adults in the household. But there could soon be progress on the vaccine front. U.S. pharmaceutical giant Pfizer today announcing that with its partner, German company BioNTech, it has begun testing a new vaccine in humans in the U.S. They say it could be ready for emergency use in the fall if it works. On the testing front, the FDA authorizing the first new COVID-19 antibody test that has independent validation of its accuracy from the federal government. Still, as states open up, despite not having met federal guidelines of a 14-day decline in new coronavirus cases, health officials worry about the dangerous public health consequences. This virus has enormous capabilities of spreading like wildfire. We know that. Others are more worried about the economic ones. As California borrows $348 million from the federal government to pay unemployment claims, becoming the first state to make such a move. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie comparing the current crisis to the sacrifices American troops made in World War II. In the very same way now, we have to stand up for the American way of life. What are those lives going to be worth if people can't go to work, if they can't support their families? Some communities announcing plans that seem to fly in the face of state orders, like Ocean City, Maryland, which announced its popular beach will be open to visitors starting Saturday. The state's stay-at-home order remains in effect. While in California, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti says he's not yet ready to open things up. You can't give in to political pressure where people are saying, do this because I'm getting antsy. Meanwhile, some bad news for consumers. A meat shortage at Wendy's following the shutdown of meat packing plants in several states. One analyst estimating nearly one in five of the fast food chain's restaurants are not serving hamburgers or other meat-based items. Starbucks says 85% of its locations are ready to responsibly reopen this week for drive-through or pickup only. And we just got a bit more of reopening news from my colleague Ed Lavendera saying that the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, has announced that barbershops, hair and nail salons can open this Friday, May 8th. Previously, he'd said that would not happen until mid-May, but it's happening uh, this Friday despite a mixed bag of coronavirus statistics in the state. Jake? All right, Athena Jones, thank you so much. There is more than 100 potential coronavirus vaccines in the works with doses already given to patients in the U.S. We're going to talk to vaccine development expert next. Stay with us. 108. That's the number of potential coronavirus vaccines in development around the world right now, according to the World Health Organization. Eight are in clinical trials. Joining us now, Dr. Peter Hotez, the co-director of Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development, to talk about one of them. Uh, Dr. Hotez, thanks for joining us. A Pfizer and the German company BioNTech have been gun testing their experimental, experimental vaccine in the U.S. They say they have the potential to supply millions of doses by the end of 2020 if their vaccine shows promising results in trials. Uh, what do you make of that timeline? Is that possible? Well, you know, there's going to be a, quite a number of vaccines moving through the clinical pipeline. I'm hoping ours might be one of them as well. And and they all work a lot uh, with pretty much the same principle. They interfere with the spike protein binding to the receptor. But it's a matter of what arm of the immune response you're going to stimulate. So ours is a recombinant 
protein vaccine, Pfizer's is an RNA vaccine. You've heard about other RNA vaccines, their DNA vaccines, adenovirus vaccines. So those are, it's great that we're looking at this diverse array of technologies, but then it enters into this sort of bottleneck where you need to take the appropriate amount of time to show that the vaccines are both safe and that they actually work. And that's the hard part. The, the, the principle of making the vaccine is less complicated than the fact that you've got to collect all of the data that you need to prove to the regulators and yourselves that the, that the vaccines actually work and are safe. And it's hard to see how we're going to do that by the end of the year. So that's never been done before. So I think probably 2021 is a much more realistic timeline. And even that would be a world record. So uh, we're, we're taking it one day at a time. Let's talk about the, the one that you're working on, because uh, you're also the dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor, uh, and the Baylor group is, is developing a, a coronavirus vaccine. When do you think you'll, you'll be in the stage where you're ready to do um, trials on humans? So this is a neat vaccine. This is we're doing this uh, also uh, with Texas Children's Hospital. And together, we've just formed a new partnership, announced it today with PATH. They used to stand for the Pro- Program for Appropriate Technology and Health. Now they just go by the name of PATH. They're Seattle-based. They led the development of the meningococcal A vaccine for Africa, the malaria vaccine for Africa, the rotavirus vaccine. They have an unparalleled track record for access and global health. So we're developing a low-cost, highly accessible uh, recombinant protein vaccine that would be very inexpensive. And we're hoping it might be one of the first global health vaccines made for COVID-19 because this virus is now racing through. You've heard about what's going on in Brazil right now and in Ecuador. It's really devastating. This will move into Africa and India, likely in the in the southern hemisphere in this in the summer months. So there's a real need to have that low cost, accessible, highly effective vaccine. So we're hoping it can go into clinical trials uh, sometime in the summer. And uh, and uh, that will add to the list of uh, vaccines. We're worried about some of the other ones, whether they'll really filter down to low and middle income countries in a reasonable period of time. So we're deciding we decided with PATH that we're going to accelerate something now uh, for uh, people uh, who, mm-hmm. who don't have access to vaccines otherwise. And Dr. Fauci has talked about how the need to, to mass produce the vaccine uh, might start even before the vaccine has been approved, just so that it, it, you can get up to speed. One question I wonder, uh, given the fiasco we've seen in terms of testing, does the United States has, have the infrastructure, uh, once the vaccine has been approved, God willing, to distribute 330 million vaccines and get the country inoculated? Well, that's, it's, as they say, it's unprecedented. It's a Manhattan-style project. Uh, you know, we're I mean, those of us who are working on vaccines are working day and night trying to figure this out. I think what you're going to see is, and, and Dr. Fauci has already talked about this, they're going to start manufacturing some of these vaccines, the term he uses, at, at risk. That means even if they don't know if the vaccine works or it's safe or not, they're going to start mass producing it, uh, knowing that oh, several of those vaccines are not going to go anywhere. In fact, most vaccines that start clinical trials often don't finish it. So there will be an expensive investment uh, uh, by the U.S. government. But if you really want to get a vaccine going, you can't really wait to get all of the data sometime next year and say, "Okay, now we're going to start making it. So you've got to we've got to do things in parallel. It's a new way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Dr. Peter Hotez, uh, good luck with what you're working on. And thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. 
Adding to the mixed messages, President Trump's pick for the director of national intelligence position, weighing in on the origin of coronavirus. Was it in a lab? Was it at a wet market? That's next. Before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge the efforts of the committee. Have you seen any intelligence uh, that finds with high confidence, or any confidence for that matter, that the coronavirus originated in a lab in Wuhan rather than the market? I have not. That was President Trump's pick for Director of National Intelligence, Congressman John Ratcliffe, Republican of Texas, telling the Senate Intelligence Committee at his confirmation hearing earlier today that he has not seen any evidence that the novel coronavirus originated in a lab. This comes after Secretary of State Mike Pompeo asserted Sunday that there was, quote, enormous evidence supporting that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan, China. Radcliffe noted that he has not been attending classified briefings due to the outbreak. CNN's Alex Marquardt uh, joins me now. Alex, Dr. Fauci said in an interview that that he does not believe this virus uh, was man-made. Tell us more. Well, Dr. Fauci now weighing in, uh, Jake, saying that from everything that he's seen of the evolution of this virus, that it moved naturally from an animal to a human. And, and Jake, that that part that this is not man-made is pretty much universally accepted. Uh, The Office of Director of National Intelligence is on the record saying as much. Where the divisions start is where exactly the the virus originated in Wuhan, whether it started in that market or was an accidental release from the lab. Dr. Fauci is saying that regardless, it started in nature. And what you're hearing from members of the Trump administration, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, they're pushing this theory that it was accidentally uh, released from a lab. Uh, Now you have the U.S. intelligence community, which generally doesn't say anything in public unless they have an assessment coming out saying they're looking into both those theories, the market and the lab. And in fact, they say that they have evidence of both. Um, The the only thing that they're saying with certainty is that it came from China and that it's not man-made. But in seeing the Trump administration pushing this theory uh, that it was accidentally released uh, from a lab, the U.S. finds itself... Uh, increasingly in isolation at odds with its intelligence partners. Uh, I was speaking with a Western diplomatic official who has seen the intelligence who says that it's highly likely that the virus was not an accidental release. This is, according to this official, the growing consensus of the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Partnership that includes Great Britain, Canada, New Zealand and Australia. And so what you're seeing is uh, this, this group of nations essentially saying that what they're seeing is an assessment. It's not 100%, but what they believe is that the virus occurred in nature and came out of this lab. But Jake, what everyone agrees, sorry, came out of the the market. Um, And what everybody agrees on is that without cooperation from China, without transparency, you're never actually going to get to the bottom of this. But their best assessment, the American intelligence partner's best assessment is that this did come out of the market in nature. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thank you so much. Three Russian doctors on the front lines of the pandemic in that country mysteriously falling out of hospital windows. What one of them said before the fall that's raising some serious questions. That's next. Within just the last few weeks, three different doctors in Russia, all of them dealing with that country's coronavirus pandemic, have all mysteriously fallen out of windows. Two died. The third suffered severe head trauma. Police in Russia are investigating all three instances, as CNN's Matthew Chance reports for us now. Behind the face masks, two stressed out Russian doctors struggling in this country's coronavirus pandemic. 
We haven't got enough protection gear, the one on the right complains on social media. Now he says Russian police are accusing him of spreading fake news. The other doctor says he's tested positive for coronavirus, but was forced to work anyway. Now he's fighting for his life after falling mysteriously from a hospital window. This was him, Alexander Shulapov, shortly before his unexpected plunge, with a video statement completely retracting his allegations of mistreatment. I was just overwhelmed with emotion, he explains, and scared of my condition. But of course, I was taken off shift and didn't treat any other patients. Now he's dealing with severe head injuries and can say no more. But he's not the only Russian doctor recently silenced by a suspicious window fall. In fact, he's the third. Earlier this month, the acting head of this hospital in Siberia died after plunging out of a window during a meeting with health officials. Local television reported she opposed plans to convert her hospital into a coronavirus facility, citing lack of protective gear, and asked a colleague what happened. It's all very strange, he says. She was a kind woman. Maybe with all this coronavirus, they pressured her with requirements, he suggests. Do this, do that. A lot of uh, hospitals... One Russian doctor who knows about the current pressure is Anastasia Vasilova, head of a doctor's union, who's become an outspoken critic of Russia's coronavirus response, accusing the Kremlin of underplaying the pandemic. This is her being manhandled and arrested last month, trying to deliver protective equipment. She says the strange case of the three Russian doctors in suspicious window falls, including another last month who worked at the main cosmonaut training centre, is more about psychological stress on frontline staff than any sinister plot to silence critics. No, I don't think that uh, somebody is targeting, targeting doctors, no. The um, destruction of uh, health care system and, uh, of course, uh, this means that it's very difficult uh, to treat in such uh, conditions uh, a lot of patients with coronavirus. <laughs> We've seen the strain on Russian medical staff already like these workers with coronavirus symptoms in southern Russia crammed into a laundry cupboard with no space on the wards. Elsewhere, complaints abound of shifts lasting days or 10-hour waits in ambulances to admit patients. Russia may not be murdering its doctors, but the pressures of its pandemic could be what's really killing them. Well, tonight we're seeing absolutely no sign of that pandemic in Russia slowing down. In fact, it seems to be expanding at one of the fastest paces of any country in the world. More than 10,000 new cases identified in the past 24 hours alone. Jake. All right, Matthew Chance, thank you so much. Appreciate it. A park ranger pushed into a lake as social distancing restrictions are bringing out the absolute worst in some people. And now there's a new term for this phenomenon. Stay with us. The pandemic has brought out the absolute worst in some people, as CNN's Tom Foreman reports. The behavior has led to the creation of a new vocabulary word to describe this new era. This is just, this is senseless over a mask, over a mask. I don't understand it. 
The family of security guard Calvin Munnerlin is in shock after he was killed working at a store in Michigan. Why? Prosecutors say he had asked a customer to put on a face mask as required by the state. Her two family members got angry. One of the black males started yelling at Munnerlin about disrespecting his wife. The other black male then walks up to Munnerlin and shoots Munnerlin. In Texas, a park ranger is pushed into the water after asking people to socially distance. In Ohio, the governor quickly reverses a new rule requiring masks after howls of outrage. It became clear to me that this was just something that was a, a bridge too far. People were just not going to accept a mandate from the government. Same in Oklahoma. A town passes an ordinance requiring masks in stores and restaurants and... The next morning when businesses opened, they began receiving verbal abuse and threats of physical violence uh, for being from patrons being asked to put on a face mask. The ordinance is quickly pulled back. People who aggressively reject travel restrictions, social distancing, masks, and more are becoming so common the Dutch even have a name for them. Corona jerks. And some who take the rules more seriously are pushing back, shaming the most militant violators of health codes and reporting others to authorities. In South Carolina, police say a woman was coughing and licking her fingers while handling food in a grocery store. She was arrested. And the distance between the two sides in this battle over how to handle the virus is growing ever less social. This is not the way to do things right now. We need to come together. Many outspoken critics of social distancing really say that what they're fighting for is their freedom. Freedom to go where they want, do what they want, with whom they want. Even if that freedom makes someone else very sick. Jake? Tom Foreman, thanks so much. They had some of the most critical roles at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, New York, and they were not doctors, they were not nurses, but they gave their lives to protect their patients. Thanks to the New York Times for highlighting the work of Priscilla Caro, Wayne Edwards, and Derek Braswell, each of whom handed out supplies such as face masks and gloves at the hospital, all of whom died from coronavirus. May their memories be a blessing. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 